Amen. Well, I'm stuck a little bit because I've got, I feel like I've got a good word for you tonight. It's going to take me a few weeks, and I'm not really seeing how I'm going to be able to continue to review, but I'm going to do the best I can. What we're going to look at tonight is the word honor. Can you say that word? Say honor. How important this word is when it comes to the authority and to the kingdom of God. Honor. I hope you brought your Bibles, and if we could turn to 2 John, and we're going to look at the 8th verse, 2 John chapter 1. Verse 8. Now let me just tell you something. John the Apostle here is at a very old age when he's writing this letter. And something that I've learned is that when guys get to this old of an age, they kind of seem to get a little bit of a grandmother or a grandfather anointing. Amen. And what I mean is that they can, is simply that they can say, they can say a whole lot more with fewer words. You ever noticed when you're around, and I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be ugly, but when you're around older people, what they have to say usually is pretty important. That's, that's godly. That's, that's scriptural. That we are to listen to the elder, the elderly, and the wise. It seems that their words carry greater weight. And when you get to this age, you'll be very careful about what you say because what, because what you say is very important and people listen. Because you want to leave people with words that will really impact them. You know, there's some people that I know when they speak that I need to be quiet. Amen? It talks a lot about that someone with a lot of words, usually sin is not far from them. You ever read that scripture? When I did the whole study on does your tongue need healing, on, on the power of the tongue, it says when you're talking a lot, you're going to have a tendency to get off track. And it talks about how the wise listen. Slow to speak and quick to hear, quick to listen. But John's at a very old age here. And I think it's important that we listen to what he has to say in Second John. It says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for. This is a sobering statement. You can lose what you have labored for. Many people in these last few months know this for a fact. In just a few weeks, have lost everything. I can't believe I've been I've had to drive a little bit the last few weeks and I go by car dealers that have no cars on them. You know, if if we didn't know God, it would be scary. To see these giants crumbling and hurting, to see banks folding. How does a bank fold when they got all the money in their safe? You know, it's what you think. How does it fold? But look to yourselves that we don't lose those things which we've worked for. I don't know about you, but you need to stop and think about that for a few minutes. Be careful that you don't lose what you've worked for. But then he goes on to say, but that we may receive a full reward. 
How many of you know that God is a rewarder? Do you know that? It's how he introduced himself to Abraham. Catch this in Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What a way to introduce yourself. God is revealing himself to Abraham. This is who I am to you, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. If you look in Psalm 19, verse 11, it says, In keeping the covenant promises of God, there is a great reward. Let's take a look at it real quick. Psalm 19, verse 8 through verse 11. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. Say reward. Now, as a father, I have learned to delight and even, I have learned the delight and even the pleasure of rewarding my daughters and son. As a father, I love to see the look on their face when they're rewarded. I have kids, if you don't know, I have kids ranging from age 12 down to age 5. And I've got four of them. My quiver held four. Not five, as my wife might argue. Four. Is that ugly? That wasn't meant to be ugly. Huh? Isn't it funny? Marriage is something. As of right now, my quiver is four. If God wants to give us a miracle, we'll take a five. But four. I think I'd better stop. But I have four children, and I've learned something. That you don't reward kids unless they have earned it. There is something about earning, and there is something about receiving the the. The result when you have earned, when you have earned it. Amen? So, John says here, See to it that we don't lose the things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. God does not want you to work hard and not receive the reward. Now, for there to be a full reward, what does that mean? I believe it means there's a full reward. I believe there's a partial reward. And I believe there is a no reward scenario. Can you see that? As I look at scriptures on this topic, I started to realize that in the ministry of Jesus, there were people who received a full reward. Some of them received partial rewards. And some of them received no rewards. I believe, and I'm just going to give you an example, and this isn't from my notes, but when the ten lepers were healed, only one returned to thank him. And God says, because you came back to to thank me, you are made whole. I believe there's a difference between those nine that were healed and the one that was made whole. The nine that were healed, I believe, received a partial reward. The one that returned received the full reward. Are you with me? Okay. 
And as I started to track this, I found something interesting. If we can, let's go to Mark chapter 6. We're going to take a real quick peek at these. Now, in Mark chapter 6, we have Jesus. Jesus is coming to a city. And the city, by the way, is looking for the Messiah. They are actually anticipating the Messiah, the timing of his coming. Now, we shouldn't be surprised by this. How many of us know that we are living right now in the days of the second coming of Jesus? You would have to be spiritually blind not to see that we are in the end times. Amen? Jesus said you should know the seasons, that you won't know the hour, but that you should know the season. And I believe we are in the season of the second coming of Christ. Well, they knew the season of the Messiah's first coming. How did Herod notice in the wise men to the scribes and the scribes to be able to tell them where he was going to be born, where he was born? The Old Testament prophets told the time period. They knew it was the time and the city was looking and anticipating Jesus coming with great anxiousness, just like we are today. Now, Mark chapter six, verse five, it says, now he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Have you ever wondered why? Would you look, if we could, we'll look a little bit more carefully at this. It says, he could do no mighty work there. The King James says, he couldn't do any, he couldn't do any mighty work there. He laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Right? But if you look at it, I hope you'll have a, wait a minute. Wait a minute, what is this saying? It says he couldn't. You know, wouldn't would be a little bit easier to receive. Because if it says that Jesus wouldn't, he could do no, if it said he would not do any mighty work there, then it would be based on Jesus' will. He would not. He would choose not to. Right? But it said... He couldn't, which means he was restrained. Are you with me so far? Would you say that's an accurate breakdown of the words? He couldn't. If someone says, you can't do that, that's not you being able to make the decision whether you want to or not. That's someone saying that you physically can't do it. But it says he could do no mighty works there. So if you start to think the son of God who has the spirit of God without measure, the Messiah was restrained. Can you see it? Why? Why was he restrained? We'll look at verse three. We're going to go backwards. At Verse three. It says. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James? Joseph, Judah, and Simon are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. A prophet is not without honor. Say it again. Say honor honor except in his own country so what happens here jesus comes into nazareth 
into the city where he was raised. He walks into the synagogue because it was the day, it was the Sabbath. And he goes over and he grabs the book of Isaiah and he starts reading. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Very familiar passage of scripture. Just like we would read today the Beatitudes. But everybody in the church was real familiar. Nothing was wrong yet. Except why is this young man who was raised in our hometown reading from Isaiah rather than the older rabbi that's in the synagogue? Are you with me? Who is this? Did you see it? Isn't this the carpenter? You remember reading? But then he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he continues and he closes the book. And he, then he says, this day, this, this scripture is fulfilled in your ear. And then he starts telling about the amazing miracles that he's been doing from city to city. That God has been doing through him from city to city. Now, all of a sudden, the people start looking at each other and say, hold it. Wait a minute. This is Jesus. He went to school with my daughter, Sally. He played on my son, Pete's soccer team. Then he looks at somebody else. He made the table and chairs in my kitchen. He was a carpenter, right? Wait a minute. We know him. We know him. You know, I can, I don't want to say I can relate to Jesus. I wouldn't even begin to say that. But I can relate. I had some statements made over me when I was uh, considered as pastor that because I'm from this town that no one would receive me. I said, okay. Well, we'll let God take care of it. God, you got to take care of it. But we can see here, who is this? We know, wait a minute, we know you. And you just say right now that this scripture is fulfilled in our ear? Wait a minute. I mean, just imagine if we were in their shoes. I would say I would probably react the same way. Scripture says that if we lived back in those days of the crucifixion, we would crucify Jesus. I don't put it past me of doing stupid things back then. I would wish that I wouldn't. But I've done some pretty doozies in my life. Amen. So they're sitting around. Wait a minute. We know him. What's happening here? These people had an image of how the Messiah was going to come. And you know what's interesting? The image that they had was given to them by the Old Testament scriptures, right? In Isaiah, let's just go back and look at it. Chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. They are looking for a conquering Messiah. We've talked about this. I did a sermon about the people's dreams and how when they were throwing their clothing and the palm branches down, that they were anticipating Jesus setting up his throne. They were ready for the children of God to have a king. Yet they didn't realize that it wasn't going to come the way that they thought, right? These people here are, are, are in that same boat. They're looking for this conquering Messiah to set up his earthly kingdom and to reign forever and ever. They had developed this from Old Testament scripture. 
But when Jesus came as one of their own, went to their schools, hung out with a bunch of tax collectors and mafia and prostitutes were following him, they said, wait a minute. This is not the expected Messiah. This is not our expectation of what it's supposed to be. So as a result, they withheld honor. I've, I've, gone a, I've gone a long way around the mountain to get to this point. That there was no honor in his hometown. And when the honor is removed, the power is removed. He couldn't do it. You, you know, the, 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 this is just the Lord speaking to me right now, but it's scary to know what kind of impact we have on our church. For the negative and for the positive. I believe if we would honor him, he is going to move mightily. And I believe he is. And I believe we are honoring him. So as a result, they withheld honor. And you know what it tells me is that many times God will send us what we need in a package we don't want. Many times God gives us what we need and we don't feel like it's what we should have. And we reject it. Why does God do that? Because God's God. Because he's God. So when he comes differently than how they expected him to come, they withheld honor. Now, this word honor is such a big word. Honor comes from the Greek word timi, but it's spelled time, T-I-M-E. But it's pronounced timi. And the literal definition of this word timi is a valuing. You with me? When you speak of the word honor or timi to a Greek man, he thinks of something that is valuable, something that is precious, something that is weighty, such as gold. How many of you know that you don't put your gold in your junk drawers? Kids, have your parents got junk drawers? You don't have a junk drawer? I've got a junk drawer. It's all organized. My wife is a very organized person. We, we, we work hard to, to not have junk laying around, but you can't hardly help it. There's got to be a place for junk every now and then. Even somebody that's organized has, a, has their little junk area. Kind of healthy to have something you can still throw in there and not worry about it. As long as it's not your whole house. <laughs> but you don't put gold in there. You don't put things of value in there, right? Sometimes in, or, in, order, in order to understand what a word is, let's look at what the word isn't. Let's look at its counterpart, which would be the word dishonor. So the Greek word for dishonor means to treat as common. Can you see that that's how they treated Jesus as everyone else? Wait a minute, we know him can't be him. I, I know him. To treat as common or ordinary, it means not to esteem or to give literal no, little or no respect. So conversely, to honor means you respect, you highly esteem. And as you study this, you can see that we can show honor 
in action, in word, and in thought. But all true honor originates from the heart. We saw this morning that um, if we would obey God's commandments and and fear the Lord and and make sure that we're if we're operating from the heart, there is value when we operate from the heart. I can do things and I can go through the motions and do the right things, but if my heart's not in it, it's not the same thing, right? And true honor comes from the heart. That's why God says in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, it says, These people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment or precepts of men. Their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. Notice that God says they are honoring me with their lips. They're even doing actions of honor, but God says they have removed their hearts from me. And their fear is taught by the precepts of men. In other words, honor is an outflow from the heart, and it's a derivative or an outflow of the fear of the Lord. When we give true honor from the heart, it is an outflow of the fear of the Lord. So what happens here? Jesus comes to Nazareth. They give him very little honor. And as a result of giving him little honor, because they treat him as common, he was—he raised my kids. Who do they think he is? As a result, he can only lay his hands on a few sickly people and get them healed. Maybe he heals a few heart headaches, a bad back, an arthritis. But there are no great miracles that all these other cities are experiencing, like eyes being open, deaf ears being open, and the cripple walking, and the dead being raised. Are you with me? Nothing big is happening in Nazareth. Because of one word, honor. I'm already needing to close. Now, if we can quickly, we'll go to Luke chapter 5. And you'll find that Jesus is preaching to a bunch of, uh, he is teaching and preaching in a house. And it must have been a large house because it said there was a multitude of teachers and preachers. Now, if we can just assume how many, let's say there was, what would you say a multitude is? You know, in their day, a multitude could have been 5,000. Jesus fed the 4,000, he fed the 5,000. But for, for our sake, let's say, for our size right here, let's say two to 300. That's what we run on Sunday mornings. Let's say there was about two to 300, a big house. But they were there to listen to him. Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Catch this now. The power of the Lord is there. And all these people have come from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So I would say there's quite a few people there. Amen? The Bible says he taught the teachers and preachers and the power of the Lord was there to heal them. How many of you know that God doesn't waste anything? We saw in the Bible that when he fed the 5,000, that there was baskets left over, right? And he says, go pick them up. Pick up the leftover fish and the leftover bread fragments. Something that you and I would have thrown down the garbage disposal, right? 
but not God. He does not waste anything. So if the power of the Lord was there to heal them, it means some of them, at least one of them, needed to be healed. Why else would it say it? Now, in my experience, when you've got two or three hundred people, you've got at least ten, twelve people that need to be healed. At least. Or that will say they do. I'd say the number is even greater than that. We are a people in need of healing. You know what we are. We are a people in need of a Savior. We need healing so that we will realize we need help. That's a, that's a deep statement. I feel like the Lord's trying to give revelation right here that the, that the reason that, I don't know, I don't want to, I run risks right here of uh, stepping outside, but I believe that um, our need for healing is a, is a reminder of our, our need for a Savior. And, and, and a kingdom alignment with his kingdom. When we come for healing, we wind up lining ourselves up with him. And you know what? In a sense, we are paying him honor because we're coming to him knowing that he's our healer. We're not going and taking medicine, and I have no problem with medicine. I, I'm, a, I'm, an ad, I'm, a, I'm a, a pro-doctor person. Go to the doctor. God... There are spirit-filled doctors, are they? No, they're good. Doctors are good. But when I come to God, I come to bring him honor and say, you are my king and I am in need of help. And I come to you really believing in who you are and who you are, Jesus, and what you did on the cross. It's not just about maybe I need healing in my back or we need healing from cancer. I'm saying I believe in the blood of Jesus. That's where I'm... I'm, that's where the healing comes from, is when we believe. Goodness gracious, I'm sure this has been taught a thousand times, but sometimes I just need the light bulb to go off. When we have the altar open for healing, all you're doing is say, Jesus, remember me, I believe in your son and what he did for me, and I stand up right here and I show everybody that that's what I believe. I may be coming up here for healing, but what I'm showing is that I believe in you, Jesus. Boy, that is so good. Where am I? And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. God doesn't waste anything. So at least one of them needed to be healed. But not one of them got healed. Until somebody couldn't get in and was persistent enough to climb up on the roof and rip the roof open and lower a man, a paralytic man down in, on his mat in. You can see it's full of these people that thinking, I don't know who you are, Jesus. But we're here listening. We're going to hear what you have to say. Can you imagine a town meeting ready to take him out on a rail? Have you ever seen somebody get taken out on a rail? But yet somebody busts in through the top. Says, I know who's in there. And I believe he can do this. And we're going to rip this roof off. We'll deal with the consequences. And this guy got lowered down in. And what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say in Luke 5.20? It says, when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
Now, listen to me. The teachers and the preachers in the house start thinking, what? What did this man just say? That he can forgive sins? And the Bible says they just thought it. They just thought it. They didn't even say it. And the Bible says when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he said, which is easier to say, that your sins are forgiven or get up and walk so that you might know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to heal sins or forgive sin. And he said to the man, get up and walk. And the man took up his mat and walked out. And the Bible says that the teachers and the preachers were greatly amazed. Yeah, they were amazed, but none of them got healed. Why? Because they dishonored him with their thoughts. Are you with me? They dishonored him with their thoughts. They didn't even speak a word. They got no reward because of one word, dishonor. I'm going to stop there. I hope you're getting something. I may be the only one to get something tonight. It's, uh, it's so good. I, I love the Lord and I love it when he speaks. And I don't want to get in such a hurry that I miss it. I can get hung up with my sermons. I can get hung up with the worship. That it becomes about us and what we're doing and about me. No, I don't want to do that. That's one thing as I was down here worshiping is I started, I, you know, I don't want to say my flesh was at work, but I had to take account of my heart and say, wait a minute, God, it's not about me. It's about you. What do you want? And uh, to be honest with you, I did not want to do holy as the Lord. I wanted to be done. It was 630 and God, I don't want to do it. And I just felt, you know, and I just felt the Lord say, go on and do it. This is what I want. It's what's happening around the throne of God. Who cares? Who cares what you want, Pastor Paul? What does that mean? Now, not that God dis- dishonors me or, or knocks me down, but what difference does it make what you want? This is what I want. I want to hear this song. And I don't care if it flops. I don't care if the band can't play it. I want to hear the song. Why do you think I've got everything around me saying this? Because I want to hear it. And I want to do, I want to do what God wants to hear. I want to speak. I want to sing. I want to act. I want to act. I want to, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm worshiping, I want to do what God wants me to do. He is our audience in worship. I come to the throne and I worship him. And that's what I want. And Lord, I just give, we'll just pray. Lord, I just give honor to you right now. And I thank you that you have just showed me tonight that when we come for healing, Lord, it is a declaration. It is a public profession. When we step out here and come to this altar to say we believe in Jesus. That's what that says. That's why there is power in this altar. Because it takes faith to stand up. And it takes faith to believe. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are moved by our faith. That you are moved by our faith. Lord, let us believe in you. Let us believe in you. Lord, I believe in you. And I believe what you did for me on the cross. And I believe that you shed your blood for my sin. And I believe that as backwards as it may think that I can confess my sin and that you wash it clean. Because of what you did on the cross. And Lord, I can walk out of here completely clean. Not based on me and not based on this church, but based on who you are, Jesus, and what you did on that cross.
And I accept that tonight. Lord, I just ask that you would cover our church with the blood of Jesus. And that we would learn to honor you with our heart. That we would honor you with our lips. That we would honor you with our, with our actions. Lord, that we would honor you with our words. But that it would come from our heart. And Lord, I ask that we would not be a place where you cannot do any mighty works. But that this be a place where you move mightily. And that you move in any direction that you desire. Because we desire you to. And we are here to say that we submit ourselves to you. And we come under your authority and under the kingdom of God. And I thank you for Church on the Hill. Bless everybody here tonight. Bless our deacons meeting coming up. Lord, bless our new deacons. Lord, I just ask you to bless our church. Bless this church's finances and their jobs. Lord, their children, their families. Lord, I ask for some mending of hearts this week as we approach Mother's Day. Lord, I just ask for miracles to happen in the family unit as we approach Mother's Day. I just pray for the greatest Mother's Day ever. For those that have lost their mother, Lord, I just pray for a comforting. Lord, for those that are struggling with their mother, I just pray for, for a humbling and some humility, Lord, a, 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 a humility of God. Because in the, in the flesh we can't do it. Help us, Lord, to bring honor to our parents. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon this land that the Lord thy God has given you. This is the first commandment with a promise. Let us bring honor to our moms this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week.